Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's why we have the palm branches, because people waved the palm branches and they shouted Hosanna. We, we sang Hosanna today. And we read passages about how He entered Jerusalem. And as we read about those passages, one of the things that strikes me is we read about crowds. In those, in those passages. The focus is on Jesus, of course. I mean, He's the center of it all. But the action in the triumphal entry story, the action comes from the crowds. The crowds that gathered to welcome Him into Jerusalem. The crowds. It's not about the disciples. It's not about the people that we've followed all of the all through the gospel story Matthew and Mark or not Mark Matthew and and, and Peter and the other disciples they're, they're not mentioned at all uh, during this part of the story instead it's the crowds it's an unnamed crowd that gathered in Jerusalem there was a crowd of people who were fascinated by Jesus who were eager to see him eager to welcome him into the city and while the disciples play the role as you as you noticed from the scripture earlier of, of organizing the events of getting the donkey and getting everything together it's the crowds that we're told were shouting for Jesus it's the crowds who were saying who is this and it's the crowds who respond and say this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee I think we need to remember that for ourselves every now and then. And I think we need to remember that it shouldn't surprise us when crowds show up to hear about Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us when crowds show up for Easter worship. It shouldn't surprise us when we see friends and family and neighbors next week on Easter Sunday that we don't normally see gathered with us. There's something in the Easter story, there's something in Jesus that just attracts Crowds, people who normally would stand far off, come near. That's, that's what Jesus does. He draws people in, people who need Him, people who need to shout, Hosanna, an ancient word. Hosanna means, save me! People need Jesus. People need their own Easter story. We're using this time leading up to Easter and I'm telling Easter stories. Uh, we've been looking through the Bible and finding places, little stories of resurrection that occur in places that we don't normally look. Stories of new life. But we're also hearing stories from our, the lives of our friends. We're hearing stories from the lives of, of people that we love. And, and it has been an honor over the last few weeks to tell some of those stories. To tell Joe Harmon's story. To tell Paul Honnold's story. And Carol, to share your story about Kelly last week just meant so much to me to get to do that. I can't help but think though, when I consider the crowds that are still out there, I can't help but think that there are Easter stories that haven't even begun yet. There's Easter stories that haven't even started. And there's a promise of new life in the crowd that's around us. A crowd that we haven't welcomed in yet. Peter was there for the triumphal entry. He's strangely quiet though, isn't he? I mean, we're used to Peter speaking up. We're used to Peter being bold and maybe saying some things he shouldn't say. And he'll do that later on this week. But, but there's no mention at all of Peter, particularly in the story of the triumphal entry. But years later, Peter writes this little letter, First Peter we call it, and he begins with the impact of the Easter story. And he doesn't just take us back to that week in Jerusalem. He doesn't just take us back to the cross. He doesn't just take us back to the empty tomb. But he takes us forward and shows us how 
The Easter story impacted the lives of people who never even saw Him in the flesh. People who never knew Jesus in the flesh. People who weren't there when He was entering Jerusalem. And how the story continues to change the lives of people in that crowd and in our crowd also. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 today, verses 3-9. through It's there that Peter begins his letter by writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, in this salvation, you rejoice. Though for a little while, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by the fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's reminding us here in these verses that the Easter story changes our story. And it changes the story of the people around us, the crowds around us. He's showing us that because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive. Again, I love how he begins with praise in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he moves very naturally from praise to the power of the resurrection and what the resurrection, what the Easter story has done for you. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, cause, cause and effect. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us. There has been an effect in our lives. Jesus' resurrection has caused this because Jesus is alive. Our hope is alive. He has caused us to be born again. There's a word that we're, or a phrase that we're familiar with, and yet it's still very mysterious to us. What do we do with the phrase born again? How do we understand it? Well, do we understand what it implies to be born again, to have that new life you know we could go back to john chapter 3 where jesus has that nighttime encounter with nicodemus who comes with questions and nicodemus doesn't understand the whole born again thing either jesus says to him in john chapter 3 verse 3 truly truly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god and nicodemus says how can i be born again i can't go back into my mother's womb nicodemus doesn't get it and what Jesus is saying is you don't get to the kingdom with what you have here. You don't get to the kingdom with what you were born with. Your intellect, your ability, even, even your, your strength, even your kindness, even your own goodness, that doesn't get you there. God does it for you. And then we come, of course, to John chapter 3, verse 16, spoken in that same nighttime meeting with Nicodemus for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the living hope, isn't it? That's the living hope that we have. A dead hope is a horrible thing. A dead hope is a, is a terrible thing because when hope has died, what is left? I, like you, I've been watching and looking at the pictures and the videos coming out of Ukraine and seeing the, the people of Ukraine as, they, as they've lost their homes, they've lost their cities, they, they've lost family members. I've seen them and just see the, the burden of all of that. They are going through so much and we are praying and we are praying, we're praying for peace, but we need to pray for hope also. We always need to pray that they would have a hope, that they would be able to hold on to their hope and make it through. And there's a lot of things that we can do by our own strength, but, but we don't make it out of this life by our own strength. We need a living hope. We need a living Savior. We need an Easter story. It's just a few years ago. Easter, Easter Sunday, 2017. Help me with math. Is that five years? Yeah, I think it's five years. Easter Sunday, 2017. That's when Mary Ellen Lawher passed away on Easter Sunday of all days. 96 years old when she passed away. And you know, for many of us here at Kansas Christian Church, Mary Ellen was the voice of Easter. <laughs> Her singing was such a, an integral part of Easter, both Easter and Christmas. Mary Ellen had a, had a beautiful voice. And you know, for years, Mary Ellen led the choir and she organized uh, Easter and, and Christmas choirs, just had this absolutely beautiful voice. And Towards the end, we would talk and I'd tell her how, how pretty her voice was. She, and she'd say, oh, I can't sing anymore. You know, that's, that's how she, I just can't sing anymore. But I'll tell you what, more than one Sunday, I would find a way to sit in front of her during worship because I could hear her singing. She could sing. It was absolutely beautiful. And in realizing that she left this life with a living hope in Jesus and entered eternity with that living hope on Easter, a day that I can barely even think of without thinking of her voice, she, left, she entered her hope on a day when the world was singing the songs that she had led so many other people in singing. And I think there's something beautiful about that. I think there's something that brings the Easter story full circle for us. Peter, this is why Peter tells us that we need a living hope. You and I need a living hope to see us through this life and into the next. And as we have that, lift, that living hope, uh, our faith our faith brings eternity more and more into focus. Peter tells us that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, that that hope leads to an inheritance. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's pointing us to the perspective that is only available to those who have been born again. Those who have realized, I can't do this on my own strength. I can't do this by myself. There is nothing within my power that gets me out of this world and into the next. And we've put our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, what He's proven through the empty tomb. We've put our trust in the Easter story. And that's all well and good. But what about now? <laughs> what about today? What about the struggles we have today? What about our pains and what about our illnesses? What about our 
challenges that we have today. If faith is only about the future, if it's only about the pie in the sky and the sweet by and by that someday we get, if it doesn't touch what's happening today, then is it any good? Peter points ahead to our reward, to the object of our faith, to the the goal of our faith, without ignoring today's troubles. He says, He shows us that uh, without ignoring today's troubles, faith for a salvation to be revealed later, and verses 6 and 7, he says, in this, in this salvation, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, gold perishes even though it's tested by the fire, but your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, for a little while, you may suffer. You might suffer for a little while. And the, the emphasis in the way it's worded there is on that suffering is brief. Suffering is temporary. It doesn't last forever. It's only for a short time, not for eternity. The reality is, for a little while, it might be 96 years. <laughs> Compared to heaven, for a little while, it, it, it might be 96 years. And again, I'm thinking of Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen saw a lot of troubles in her life. When you die at 96, it means not many of your friends are going to come to your funeral because you've gone to their funerals. <laughs> and she, she buried an awful lot of friends. And along the way, she, she buried three of her children too. She saw various trials as Peter talks about here. I remember visiting with Mary Ellen right after Linda passed away, her daughter Linda. We sat there in the living room, we talked and we prayed, and, and Mary Ellen said, why am I still here? <laughs> I've been through all of this. I've, I've, I've buried my husband. I've buried friends. I've buried my children. Why am I still here? And I want to tell you, I did not have a good answer for her. I didn't have any answer at all for her. But I also noticed this. She didn't stop singing. With all the troubles, with all the trials, with all the grief, as Peter talks about the, the things that grieve us, she never stopped singing. Peter says this happens for a little while. For a little while you will be grieved by various trials. Paul agrees with Peter. It's wonderful when they agree with each other. But Paul agrees with Peter, and in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul, Paul writes, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And it's there that Paul says that nature, all of nature groans in anticipation for what is going to be revealed in us in the future. Peter agrees, we groan, we, we hurt but our faith tells us that something better is coming. Peter acknowledges there are various trials, that there are grief, that there is grief. He acknowledges that this life is not going to be easy, but Peter also reminds us that today we have joy because our hope is alive in Jesus. He began in verse 3 with praise. Remember, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He returns to that praise here in verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. 
Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I want you to notice he's writing to people who had never seen Jesus in the flesh. These people weren't there on Palm Sunday. They, they weren't waving their palm branches. These were people who believed in Jesus after the resurrection. They weren't in the crowd when Jesus entered Jerusalem. They didn't wave the palms. They didn't shout. And yet they weren't second-class citizens because they hadn't been there with Peter. They weren't any less than those who were there originally. Peter offers them the same hope, the same faith, the same joy. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith is a, it's the great leveler for all of us. Faith doesn't care who you were before Jesus. It doesn't matter what you did. Faith doesn't care how you failed. Rather, everyone is offered a living hope because Jesus lives. And no matter what today's trials look like, no matter what grieves us, no matter what hurts us, no matter what, what, what tries us, it does not take away from the promise and it should not steal our joy. That's, that's the Easter story. That's your story. That's my story. Jim and Marianne and Marilyn were very kind to me this week. I talked with all of them about telling some stories. and They gave me permission to tell the stories. Because in my mind, Mary Ellen Lawher's story is a story of tremendous grace. Not just grace from God, but Grace from other people too. Other people who saw something more in her. Now, I don't think any of us here are very close to being 96 years old. Charles, maybe you. I don't know. but uh, <laughs> Not quite. Nobody here has quite reached that yet. And so for all of us, we, we all grew up with an, with an older lady. Charles grew up. We all grew up with an older lady in, in Mary Ellen. We didn't know her in her younger days. All of us came along. We knew Mary Ellen. I, I always knew her as that older lady who sang so beautifully and led the music at, at the church. You know, there's, there's more to Mary Ellen's story. Again, with permission, I was allowed to to share about Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen and, and her husband Zeno, you know, Mary, they, they got married when she was 15 years old. They had to get married when she was 15 years old. And just before she turned 16, she had her first child, a, a baby named Charles, and Charles was stillborn. And I want you to think about that for a moment. A 15-year-old girl first of all, who's made some mistakes in life, had to make some changes, had to drop out of school so that she can take care of a family. And then at 15, to suffer that kind of grief, to have that kind of tragedy in her life. At 15, there were disappointments, there were hurts, there were mistakes. But don't miss this, at 15 years old, there were people who saw something more. There were people with grace who saw potential at 15. And so someone was willing to look past those mistakes at a young age and ask her if she would sing. And without any voice training, without any formal training at all, without, without a high school diploma, someone came along later and said, 
you're going to be the assistant choir director. Well, that eventually led to being the choir director. That eventually led to singing for years. And there are songs that you and I who've been around here almost as long as Charles, or those other songs for us that we can't hear without hearing Mary Ellen Lawher's voice, right? We, we still hear her voice ringing in our, in our ears. And here's, what I, here's why I wanted to tell you that story. There are young people in our community who still make mistakes. There are young people who still make mistakes, and it is so easy for us to look at the mistakes they make and just write them off. It is far too easy for us to look at their mistakes and say, well, they've, they've ruined their lives, they've wasted their chances. But if our hope, if, if your hope and my hope, if our hope is alive because Jesus is alive, could we see past their mistakes? And could we see possibilities that they don't even see in themselves yet? Could we help them find the grace that they need to remind them that failure is not final and that trials don't last forever? Could we help them find the grace to create their own Easter stories? Think about that crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. I don't know who all was in that crowd that day, but I know this, none of them were perfect. They were all flawed. They had all made mistakes. They were, they were like us. And they were like our neighbors. And they were like those kids that live around the neighborhood, the kids that continue to make mistakes. And while Peter is strangely quiet during the story of the triumphal entry, he is speaking directly to you and me and He's speaking directly to the crowd around us when He writes, though you have not seen Jesus, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I've loved getting to share some Easter stories over the last few weeks. I'm thankful families that have allowed me to share these stories. But our living hope, the living hope that you and I share tells me there are more Easter stories to be told out there. There are Easter stories in the crowd around us that haven't even begun yet. And I think what you and I need to do is to keep our hearts open to those who need a story of their own. And so let's make sure we show them the grace that someone first showed us. Hosanna, as we sang it earlier, that's what they shouted when Jesus came into Jerusalem. It's a very, very ancient word. It means, save me! If a sailor fell overboard and was going to drown with his last dying breaths, he would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, wanting someone to save him. Whatever else the Easter story means, it means we need a Savior. We need someone to save us. Paul reminds us of that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs a Savior. We take communion every week to remind ourselves that that did not come from ourselves. That salvation does not come from ourselves. Someone paid the price. Jesus gave His body. He gave His blood that we might know Him, that we might know eternal life, we might know forgiveness.
Let's make sure that those around us know that because of the way we love them. as the way that we see something more than just their mistakes. And we see the hope that they can see. I'm going to pray here in a moment. We'll take together and we'll continue. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. I thank You for Easter stories. <laughs> I thank You for voices that still, um, still speak and still sing. I thank You that, that there are songs that we can't hear without hearing Mary Ellen's voice in that great choir above us. Lord, there are, there are other Mary Ellens in our community. There are people in our community who, who need to know a living hope. Who need to know that there's a Savior who loves them. Lord, we can tell them that, but we ought to also show them that. We ought to show them that by the way that we love them, by the way we value them, and the way we care for them. We take today this bread that reminds us of the body broken for us. We take the cup that reminds us of bloodshed. And we remember the hope that we have, the living hope that we have through Your Son, Jesus. And we ask not only that You would bless us at this time, but because we have drawn near to You. Bless our neighbors. Bless our friends. Bless those who need to know You and will only know You through the way that we love and care for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.